You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. We're launching a new series this week called Heroes, but I don't want you to think that we're going to hit all the top heroes in the Bible. You know, people like Moses and Joseph and Peter and Paul, these, these figures are larger than life in the Bible. And actually, they're hard to relate to, aren't they? I mean, as far as I know, I mean, unless you're, um, unless you're uh, I was going to think of the, the movie. And I, now I got to go there because I've already done this. What's Moses parts the Red Sea. What's the movie that the guy is God and parts the Red Sea? Bruce Almighty. Thank you, Bruce Almighty. We're not Bruce Almighty. <laughs> totally random. I'm so sorry. Usually I'm able to control those things when they enter my mind and stop them at the gate. That one got out. Whew. Where was I? Bruce Almighty. Yeah. So these figures are larger than life. We, it's hard to relate to them. And sometimes, and not only that, sometimes we feel like, like we're supposed to be like them. So our shadow, like Peter's, should heal people. And if it doesn't, I guess I'm not that spiritual. So actually, sometimes the, the heroic acts of people in the Bible, these larger-than-life people, can work against our discipleship sometimes. They can work against our growing in Jesus. And so through this series, what we've decided to do is we're going to look at some lesser-known heroes in the Bible, people like you and me. People that struggled with sin, people who struggled with relationships, people who struggled with their relationship with God. And, and so we're going to look at some of these figures in the Bible over the next several weeks. And I really believe that um, you're going to find yourself in their story. You're going to find yourself in their narrative. You're going to relate to them and be like, oh, I could see myself doing that or I could see myself thinking that. And, uh, and I love what uh, Pastor Brian Zond, um, he's a pastor and I just love his writings. And he, he did a, a blog post called Reading the Bible Right. And this is what he said. The Bible is a story, an ancient epic, a grand narrative, a greatest once upon a time told. Before it's anything else, it's a story. God's great and surprising love story. Don't try to make it perfect where it's not. It's not where and when Job lived, but what he learned. It's not that a snake talked, but what the damn thing said. <laughs> Parable and metaphor have a way of knocking us to the floor. Poetry and allegory travel through time and space to get into our face. The story well told will haunt you. And when the story begins to weave into your story, it means you are reading the story right. So we're going to read the story right. We're going to read all of these stories and look at how do we fit into that story. I think you'll see it. You'll see yourself and see how, how it can challenge you to grow and deepen your faith, how it can help you in your relationships, how it can um, help you and to grow in God, to know him even better. And so we're going to look at each of these stories over the next few weeks. The first one we're going to look at is found in Luke chapter 23. If you brought a Bible to church with you, I hope you did, you can open up to Luke 23. And we're given a front row seat to the end of Jesus' earthly life. It's a painful story. It's a painful narrative. Jesus, who has been innocent and unjustly accused, is in his last moments of a torturous death on the cross. And the narrative of Jesus going to the cross is replete with unknown heroes. People, little known heroes, people that, that you, we, we just read briefly about. They probably just have a little sentence here or there. And, and, I've, 
and, 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 and there's something we can learn from them. I've, I've actually walked the Via Dolorosa twice in my life. Um, it's, the, it's translated the way of suffering, and it's the pathway um, that Jesus walked um, from the trial to the Golgotha. And, and I've walked it twice, and I've thought to myself, I, Put, I tried to put myself, when I was there, I tried to put myself in the narrative. I tried to, I tried to think about the, the dusty streets that I was walking on, that Jesus was there. Where would I be in the story? What, what part would I play in his story of going to Golgotha? Matter of fact, the church has set up 14 stations of the cross along this journey uh, to stop, for people to stop and reflect on how the story of Jesus' death impacts their story. And everywhere you turn in the narrative of the cross of Christ, the crucifixion story, you see someone that speaks to your story. Uh, recently, I came across a painting. It's a weird painting. I'm going to be honest with you. It's a strange painting. I'm going to show it to you. It shows historical figures, um, people that just from this on the Via Dolorosa, people that are there, Jesus carrying his cross, people just like you and me, in the narrative, and you just look closely, you'll see some interesting figures there. But the point of, this, of, the, of the picture is this. I want, you to, I want us to put ourselves in the story today. I want you to see yourself there. And maybe, who do you resonate with? As I, as I walk through this, like, who do you, just think, like, yeah, I can see myself there. Maybe you resonate with Simon the Cyrene, who was just an innocent bystander from out of town. And as Jesus is walking by, he, he, the cross keeps falling. It's so heavy, and he's been beaten so hard. That, and, and so they make Simon, this guy, this out-of-towner, this, this visitor, carry the cross of Jesus up the hill to Golgotha for Jesus. Maybe you relate to him. Maybe you relate to the Roman soldiers, some of whom cursed and mocked Christ, sped on him. Others just, they just did their job. He just followed orders as quietly and quickly as possible. They probably didn't even want to be there. Maybe it was the religious. Maybe you relate to the religious people who, who cursed Jesus and threw his own words back at him and got him actually in front of Pilate in order to be crucified. Or maybe, maybe you relate to just the people passing by, just people that are just walking by like, what's going on? And they get caught up in the moment and then all of a sudden they begin to mock Jesus because that's what everybody else is doing. Or maybe you can relate to the women. The women who followed Jesus are some of my favorite people in this narrative. Matter of fact, next week we're gonna look at the women who witnessed the resurrection, many of the same women that followed Jesus along the dusty roads to Golgotha. They stuck with him. They, they followed him as, as he carried his cross up there and then they stayed there at the foot of the cross. And then when they took Jesus' body down, many of them followed the body to the tomb to see where they put the body of Jesus. Maybe you can relate to the women. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of John and James and many others. Or maybe you relate more to the men, disciples, who, by the way, are not mentioned in the crucifixion story. Except for John. John mentions himself in his letter. <laughs> he's, a, he's a funny guy, John. But I imagine many of the disciples watched from a great distance. 
I imagine some of them could not watch. And some, like Peter, denied Jesus and left him. Maybe you relate to them. Maybe you relate to the young boy. There's this young boy in the narrative. He barely is mentioned, but he gets something to drink for Jesus as Jesus hung on the cross. And that's all we know about him. That's it. We don't know his name or his story. Or, we just know that he saw the suffering of Jesus and wanted to help. There's a soldier in charge, uh, a centurion. He's in charge of Jesus. He's with Jesus the entire time that Jesus is led to the cross and hangs there. And the moment that Jesus died, there's this great earthquake. And this centurion is recorded as saying, surely this was the Son of God. Then on each side of Jesus, as he hangs there on the cross, are these two thieves caught in the act. Most scholars believe that they um, were probably participating in armed robbery and most likely because of their punishment, people died in that attempt. They probably knew each other. They probably were caught in the same act. But here is the Son of God being put to death with common criminals. We might be tempted to kind of look past this moment and where it's unfair to Jesus and insignificant because of his circumstances. And we all know the end of the story. Jesus rises from the dead. So we quickly pass. We, we, we want to pass very quickly through the pain of the crucifixion. But we would be wrong to look away. Because it's in this moment of Jesus hanging there between two criminals. We, we see an extraordinary exchange happen between these three dying men. Many had spent the day mocking Jesus, extolling him to save himself. And if he really was who he claims to be, shouldn't he do something for himself? And one of the thieves actually joins in on this. And he says to Jesus as he hangs there, so you're the Messiah, huh? Are you? Prove it by saving yourself <laughs> and us too while you're at it. Can you blame him though for his response? We like to throw stones at this thief because he's, he's, just, he's, he's just so rough around the edges. But desperation has set in. This man knows the end is near. There's no coming down. There's no getting around this. He is done for and he knows it. I think we can actually empathize with this one. With this panic, with this plea, with this desperation. But surprisingly, the reprimand doesn't come from Jesus. It comes from the other thief. He says to this, his friend, this other thief, don't you fear God, man? Even when you've been sentenced to die, we deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. We don't know if this thief knew the story. We don't know if he had heard Jesus talking prior to the crucifixion. We don't know what, like, how does he know that this man, maybe it was just the character of Jesus. It was obvious there's no way this guy did what they say he did, and there's no way that he deserves to be here with us. But he recognized that. The second thief is processing, he's clearly processing the end of his life as well, right? But he's doing it in a very different posture. 
rather than desperate demands for his own rescue. This man sees his own brokenness, his own humanity. He realizes that, yeah, I actually deserve to be here. Two men, one circumstance, two very different responses to the presence of Jesus. And I, and I want us to put ourselves in, into that narrative. I want you to see yourself. Hanging on one side or the other. That might sound morbid to you, but as you'll see as we work through this, the way to experience deep relationship with Jesus, to truly understand who he is and why he came, we have to go through the cross. I want you to think of a challenging situation that you're going through right now. Maybe it's because of the pandemic. Maybe it's as a result of that. Maybe it's something completely separate, but a a challenging situation that you're experiencing right now. And and I want you to think about the two responses of these men on the cross and what we might learn from them about how we might respond to the situations we're facing right now. This one thief is cynical. He's proud. He's a bit snarky. Did you notice that? He's, he's got a little attitude. <laughs> I just, it's funny when it, I can get cynical. I can get, my mother-in-law just said amen if you didn't hear her. I can get cynical, and she's right. I get a bit prideful, and you can talk to my wife. I definitely get a bit snarky. I've been there. When it seems that Jesus isn't doing what I think he should do, when he's not entering in and bringing salvation to this circumstance and situation and trouble, I can find myself getting a bit cynical. I actually, I, I pray less mocking type prayers, but I use the same words as this thief did. God, prove yourself. Save us. You're the Messiah. <laughs> like, like trying to remind Jesus who he is. Maybe he forgot. Maybe he forgot that he has power over all. I've learned that this response, this cynical kind of response sometimes, oftentimes comes from fear. Because I know who God is, I know what he's capable of, but then the fear of the unknown, the fear that he won't come through, the fear of loss can cause us all to become a bit cynical and prideful. And and listen, it's not easy in today's culture to acknowledge that we can't do it on our own. And yet, that's exactly what this other thief does. He acknowledges his own brokenness, his own humanity. He displays deep humility in the midst of his moment, this desperate moment. He, he declares, I deserve this. We deserve this. We, we actually should be here. It's what, it's what the law requires. It reminds me of what, what one preacher said, that Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Or one thief telling another thief where to find redemption. We can see ourselves in this. And I think this thief gives us a picture of what it means when Jesus taught to pick up your cross 
and follow me, he said. Now, Jesus never doesn't expect us to die on a cross for him. But there's something powerful, even a bit elusive, when we recognize that our brokenness and our sin is an entry point to relationship with Jesus. When we allow ourselves to hang there with Christ on the cross. Paul, the Apostle Paul, would say later, I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. See, this hanging hero teaches us what it means to be humble and how to be humble by recognizing who God is and who I am, what I can do and what I can't do. That God took a punishment that he did not deserve. He took the punishment that I deserved. There's no easy way around the cross. I believe that everyone who desires to follow Jesus has to go through it. I love A.W. Tozer, his writings. Um, he has this classic, The Pursuit of God. And in it, he writes about this. He says, self Self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. It can be removed only in spiritual experience, experience, never by mere instruction. As well, try to instruct leprosy out of your system. There must be a work of God in destruction before we are free. We must invite the cross to do its deadly work within us. We must bring our self-sins to the cross for judgment. We must prepare ourselves for an ordeal of suffering in some measure like that through which our Savior passed when he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And some of you are thinking, uh, I didn't sign up for that. I came because someone told me that Jesus rose from the dead. And, let, and yet you don't get to resurrection without death. There's no, there's no life until a seed is planted into the ground, as Jesus says, and it dies there, and then it can produce fruit. And this thief believes, at least in some way, that Jesus, that there is a kingdom beyond this world, right? He believes that there's, man, there's something beyond this world, and maybe Jesus might actually be the key to that kingdom. As Pastor Dave and I were talking about this in preparation for some of the community group conversations, Dave said this, instead of mocking Jesus for not doing anything, this man makes this desperate appeal, kind of a spiritual Hail Mary. This is what he said. I'm gonna put O oh, Jesus. I'm gonna put O oh, in front of it from what Scott said today. O oh, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus Remember me. I know I deserve to be here. I know why I'm here. Uh, you, I, don't, I don't know why you're here, but I know why I'm here. And I just, and I, would you remember me? Would you see me? Would you recognize me? It's in this moment of hardship, not just the moments that brought him to that moment, but it's in that very moment, in the hurt and the heartache that he Please, he cries out, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And notice there's no formal prayer. 
There's no confession of his wrongs. There's no repentance for what he's done. There's no accounting for his sins. Did you notice that? Listen, if I'm up there instead of Jesus and this thief asks me to remember him, I'm gonna, uh, maybe I'll get to that point where what Jesus says, maybe, but I'm first gonna say, well, are you sorry for what you did? <laughs> Do you at least feel bad about it? <laughs> it just reminds me of several conversations with my teenagers, you know what I'm saying? Are you sorry? As if the only way to experience relationship with Jesus is if you feel bad about what you've done. But Jesus doesn't ask him any questions. He doesn't, he doesn't grill him. He doesn't ask him to, to repent. He doesn't ask him to call out his sins by name. Just listen to what he says. He says, I assure you, I guarantee you, that's what that means. I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. <laughs> Today, it's like three o'clock in the afternoon. It's almost three o'clock in the afternoon. This conversation is happening. There's not much more day left. And Jesus promises this man today. I mean, just an hour, two, you will be with me. The response of this dying, the response of Jesus to this dying man's plea to remember him is simply grace. He does not, Jesus does not chastise him. He does not rebuke him. He does not shame him. He does not dismiss him. He invites him to paradise with him. I mean, this whole story flies in the face of, of our well laid out theologies about who gets in and who doesn't, how someone gets in and how someone doesn't. Do you see it? Can you feel it? It's irresistible. Paradise, Jesus says, paradise is, he, it's this word, the word that he uses is like this garden, this beautiful garden of fountains and foliage and just green and it's just beautiful, it's peaceful, it's rest, it's this description, it's this holistic description of this kind of like, it's all, it echoes, I think Jesus is echoing back to the Garden of Eden before sin entered the world and he's like, listen, there's, there's this life that I, I'm inviting you into, brother. Thief murderer, criminal, welcome. And this criminal, for, to me, is a true hero, someone we can look up to because through his humble request, because of his humble approach to Jesus, Jesus shows us that we don't need to work or do penance or de to, to deserve heaven. We don't have to do anything. He was brave, and this man was brave enough to simply acknowledge his sin and his humanity and ask for a bit of mercy. And Jesus, what does he do? He lays out the red carpet for him. This is why I follow Jesus. This one narrative speaks to the scope and breadth of the love of God. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. I want to be remembered by this man. I want to be remembered by Jesus. I want to be known by him. I want to acknowledge that at the very end of all things, there's only one thing that matters. There's all these other things right now that are just front and center and taking our attention and we just get so distracted by things. And, and today I want to just, just focus this right in. There's nothing, there's no sense trying to escape 
or to go around the cross. It's there. It's there where we are not only forgiven, but we are accepted and known and loved and invited in by the God of the universe. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer after me. For those of you that are here, those of you that are online as well, I want you to pray out loud, actually. I want you to say these words, and it's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of similar prayer, a similar plea to what men on the cross next to Jesus prayed. And some of you might be praying a prayer like this for the first time, and so would you, would you all just repeat this after me? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. Help me to share in your suffering to pick up my cross every day and follow you so that I may experience your resurrection one day. Part of me just wants to finish right there. You can look up. Part of me just wants to finish right here and be done and tell you to go. But I just, I feel, I felt this kind of just this sense of the Holy Spirit that the cross is essential. We have to go through it. We have to, we have to sacrifice ourselves, our desires sometimes, our wants, even sometimes our dreams. We have to lay our, ourselves down. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours. Every prayer that we pray should end with that, not my will, God, but yours. But I don't want to just stop at the cross. I, I, want to, I want to just for a second just look beyond that to see that the way that we experience resurrection, the way that we experience paradise, both then but also now, is through the cross. It's through dying to ourselves, but we will experience resurrection. True life in Jesus is found as we pick up our cross daily and follow him. Before we go on, before we finish the service, I wanna recognize, I know that there are people online um, that are listening to this, people that are in this room right now, that you prayed that prayer for the first time. And I wanna be the first one to welcome you into the family of God, part of a community that says, that embraces you. Whether you're the, a thief or one of the women that followed Jesus faithfully all the way to the end, we wanna welcome you into the family of God. So can we just right now, just I know that there are people that are responding. Can we just welcome them by applause, thanking them for coming in, making that response? Yeah, so good. <laughs> 